I'm so glad we can pause and thank our veterans for their service. Uh, on Memorial Day, we remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our country. On Veterans Day, we remember those who are currently serving and those of you who are uh, retired from service or transitioned into another kind of service, but we thank our veterans so much for that. And I, I was reminded this week uh, of, of the first funeral for a service member that I participated in as a pastor. It was many years ago, almost three decades now, in Granite Falls, North Carolina. Uh, an officer in our National Guard on a Sunday morning was driving to Lenore for his duty and was hit head-on by a drunk driver and died that day. And a few days later, we held his funeral at our church there in Granite Falls. Uh, and it was so moving and so powerful to see the people come out to honor him. Uh, 82nd Airborne from Fort Bragg came. Uh, officers from the National Guard were there. He was not only well-respected, he was popular across our state. And it was amazing to see people come out and people in the community and in the church that came out. And, and that was the first time, graveside, the first time that I saw that moving moment uh, when, uh, in this case, it was a military officer knelt down in front of the next of kin and gave them that flag and said those words on behalf of a grateful nation. Since then, in these nearly three decades, I've seen that many times. I've seen it done by service personnel. I've seen it done by chaplains. I've seen it done by pastors. I've seen it done by funeral home directors. But it's always the same statement in the same way, handing the American flag to the next of kin and saying, on behalf of a grateful nation. Because that's how it should be, isn't it? We should be grateful. We should be grateful to those who serve our country. We should be grateful to those who sacrifice in law enforcement. We should be grateful to those medical personnel that take care of us in times of crisis. We should be grateful for people who simply serve us Day by day, in a variety of ways, we should be grateful as a nation. We should be grateful as a community. We should be personally grateful, shouldn't we? Do you ever wonder what happened to gratitude in our country? How did we get to this place? What happened to our gratitude? How did we become so ungrateful in this nation? And it's happening more and more and more. And, and it's a symptom, as we'll see, it's a symptom of the progression of history toward the end of time. The Bible actually teaches that, as we'll see in just a moment, that the, lack, the loss of gratitude among people and, among, and in our culture is a symptom that we're progressing toward the end of time and the close of history. And would you agree with me that as we see this escalation of ingratitude in the United States of America? More and more, this, this increase, this escalation of a general sense of ingratitude. People are just ungrateful overall. This is one of the reasons that socialism is becoming popular among our younger generations. Did you know 61 to 70% of millennials say they would vote for a socialist to be in the United States government? And it's happened. And the reason for that is because socialism and Marxism thrives on ingratitude. They thrive on gratitude. Socialism and Marxism and fascism and other movements like that, other ideologies similar to that, keep telling people, you deserve more. You deserve better. You have no reason to be grateful. Someone needs to give you more. You don't have to work for it. They should give it to you. In fact, you should take it because you deserve it. 
Socialism thrives on ingratitude. That's why it's unbiblical. That's one of the many reasons it's unbiblical, but that's a reason it's unbiblical. This morning, we're going to step into a message series, and, and the first thing we're going to do today is ask and answer the question, how did we become so ungrateful? And the Bible answers that for us. And then we're going to move forward as well, and we're going to consider in this message series how to restore gratitude, because it's not just about our country, it's about you and me. We are always on the edge, close to the ledge of ingratitude, of being ungrateful to God and being ungrateful for what God has done for us and what God has given us. And that's a dangerous place to be, as we will see this morning. And then we'll see in the next three Sundays how we can restore that gratitude. The escalating gratitude in our culture as we progress toward the end of time is pictured by the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This is somewhat of an anchor passage for this series. We'll mention it again in the next few weeks, but make a note of it now. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes to his friend Timothy and he says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, listen, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. As we progress toward the end of time, people will become more and more ungrateful, especially younger generations when they're, when they're taught to be entitled and they're told that they deserve more. They're taught to be ungrateful. But I believe that Christianity, and I believe the biblical truth is the answer for that. I, be, I believe if you and I grasp what gratitude truly is, and we restore it in our own lives, we can impact everyone around us, especially the younger generations coming up. And I pray that through this series, we will restore our personal gratitude toward God, and we will teach others how to be grateful. I pray through this series that God will explore our hearts and show us if we have been cultivating an attitude of ingratitude in our own lives, He'll show that to us, we will confess it, and we will turn back to Him in worship. So we start this morning asking and answering the question, how did we become so ungrateful in our culture and in our own lives? If you have your Bible with you, find with me the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Turn there. It's a passage that for many believers is familiar. The Apostle Paul is writing the church, the young believers in Rome whom he has never met. He's not been there yet. So the book of Romans is thick with uh, theology with his, his thinking as he moves them toward an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Then later in the book, he applies Christianity to all, all levels of life, even interaction with government, uh, personal responsibilities. He takes up all kinds of things in the book of Romans. But it's interesting, as we'll read just now, and we're about to read, he, he, he starts with, he rewinds to the creation. Now, Paul does this intentionally and for a reason. Because folks, remember, everything goes back to creation. Creation tells us God's intention. It doesn't tell us how we feel or what, I, what our preferences are, what our opinions are. The creation of God, as recorded in Scripture, reminds us of God's intention. And God's intention is always our ideal. That's who God meant us to be. And that's who God is restoring us to be. So before the Apostle Paul gets to the application of Christianity in the book of Romans, he's going to go back just a bit and remind the Romans about creation. And we're going to pick up in chapter 1 and verse 18 and read a passage that you will notice talks about gratitude. 
And you'll also notice, when we get to this point, you'll also notice that there's a direct connection between honoring God, what the Bible calls glorifying God, and our gratitude toward God. In fact, in the next few weeks, we'll see this connection over and over and over. In a couple of weeks, we'll see Jesus himself connect glorifying God to being grateful to God. Those two go together because when you're grateful to God, you worship God, you glorify Him, and it's impossible, it's impossible to worship God from a heart of ingratitude. And we'll see that in this series. But look there with me this morning. How did we become so ungrateful? Here's Paul's answer, Romans 1 verse 18. The Bible says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what is made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Now, it's clear to see that this passage is stuffed with riches and gems that we could mine this morning. But we want to focus in on gratitude and what Paul speaks of in this passage about gratitude. Uh, go back to verse 21. This is, this is sort of a pivotal verse for the passage. Uh, it's where Paul goes to, then he makes this statement, then he moves forward. He says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. There's a direct relationship between how we think about God to how we think about ourselves to how we express gratitude or ingratitude. There's a direct relationship to the way we think, the way we think about God, the way we think about ourselves, and whether or not we are grateful to God or whether we are ungrateful to Him. Our ingratitude, Paul teaches, is born of sin, a sinful nature. But he also shows in this passage there's a progression of ingratitude. And that's what I want us to explore in just a minute. There's a progression of ingratitude. And we have to watch this in ourselves Paul's going to explain it in culture and how humanity has operated, the progression of ingratitude in humanity. We see it in our culture, but we need to watch this in ourselves as well. This progression can take place in every individual. And believers especially must be very careful. We need to ask God, am I, am I ungrateful to you, God, for who you are and what you've done for me? Be careful. Watch this. If there's a progression of ingratitude in your life, let God show that to you and confess that to him today. So look with me back at the passage, and let's consider this progression of ingratitude. Uh, and that one verse is our, is our pivotal verse, as we'll consider it today. How did we become so ungrateful? First of all, ingratitude begins when we suppress the truth of God. Ingratitude begins when we suppress the truth of God. Notice Paul said in verse 
21, they knew God. It wasn't that people did not know God or did not know of God. The term translated knew means they had knowledge of Him by experience and by observation. They knew God. No question about it. But those same people suppressed the truth of God. Now here Paul means that that absolute truth of Almighty God. He doesn't mean your feelings. He doesn't mean your opinions or preferences. And he doesn't mean what we say in our culture that I have my truth and you have your truth. No, he means there's an absolute, ultimate, universal truth that belongs to God. And human beings have intentionally suppressed that truth. The term translated suppressed means restrained or held down. And see, what Paul's saying is the truth of God is... uh, observable to us. It's evident to us. God is there and we know it. So in order to deny it, we have to restrain it. We have to push it down. We have to make a willful act, which is what humanity does. We make a willful act to push down the truth of God and about His existence. We refuse to acknowledge the truth. It's not that it isn't there because it doesn't change. It's not that we don't know it, at least to begin with. But we refuse it, willfully refuse knowledge of God and who He is. What knowledge of God is Paul talking about? What do we refuse? Of course, the whole whole chapter circulates around God as our Creator. The person who is suppressing the truth of God is first and foremost suppressing the truth that they have a Creator and that Creator has a say in their lives. They have a creator. They have a God. They are not God. He is God. But they come to a point that they prefer to suppress that truth, to restrain it, to hold it down, and to willfully say, no, I do not want to accept. Even though I know God exists, I do not want to accept it. Ingratitude begins when we suppress the truth of God. Every person in their sin is actively suppressing God's truth. And when a person comes to faith in Christ, it's when they say, wait a minute, God's right, I'm not. (laughs) And God's God, and I'm not. I have a creator, and he's a holy God, and he holds me accountable to him for what I do and for who I am. I can no longer suppress that truth. I accept that truth. And the wonderful news of the gospel is when you accept that truth instead of suppressing it, you realize that same God died on the cross for your sins. And he will forgive you of your sins through Christ. But to begin with, people say, well, I know God. I know he exists. I observe it. But I refuse to accept it. And I refuse to accept I have a creator. In that progression then, ingratitude grows. First it starts and then it grows when we reject the sovereignty of God. We reject the sovereignty of God. We suppress the truth of God. Then we reject the sovereignty of God. What did Paul say? Though they knew God, they did not glorify Him. They did not honor Him as God. Now the term sovereignty is an overarching term that I'm using to express what Paul's talking about. It's that God as creator is ruler of the universe. He is the Lord of all creation. He has dominion over all things. And as our creator, He has created us. To serve Him and to know Him and to love Him. He didn't have to create us. He did it by by choice. And He did that so we would know Him 
And we could love him and know that we were loved by him. In, in this bigger passage, Paul makes a staggering statement. Look back at verse 20. As Paul's talking about God as the God of creation, he says, For his, that is God's, invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Then he goes on to say people have no excuse because all around us is evidence of the Creator, and he will hold us accountable for that evidence. He'll hold us accountable. Why? Because he is sovereign, because he's our Creator, Paul says. But in our ingratitude, we refuse to glorify Him and to honor Him. That's what sin does in our lives. See, sin first says, let's suppress the truth. Then sin sin says, wait a minute, God doesn't have sovereignty over you. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Satan said to her right away, wait a minute, God's not telling you everything. Don't listen to Him, listen to me. Suppress the truth and don't let Him have sovereignty over you. Ingratitude grows every time we say, God doesn't have control of my life. God doesn't have rule over my life. God's not in charge of my life. Why do we say this? We say this because we want to be the masters of our lives. So our ingratitude grows. You know why? Because you can't be grateful to yourself for the things you should be grateful to God for. We become frustrated. We become confused. We don't know what to do. And yet, all around us, Paul says, is evidence of God. We're without excuse. It's all right there. We have to suppress common sense to reject the sovereignty of God because our creator, evidence of our Creator is all around us. Now, when you and I hear that, what we typically think of is the beauty of the creation, and that's right, the extraordinary design that we find in creation, even in our human bodies, the inexplicable, remarkable design in the human eye. All the things we see every day show there is a creator and a designer. But here's the thing. Apart from God, people say, well, I can explain that away by science. I can say, uh, you know, that happened this way, that happened this way, that happened this way. I can explain it by evolution. I can explain it by a myriad of ways. And Paul would have heard those kind of explanations. In his day and time, there were similar explanations. From the philosophers, well, I can explain this, I can explain that. I don't need a creator to do it. So when Paul says that all around us, in verse 20, all around us, his invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature, notice what he's saying. These are clearly evident, not just that we have a creator, but even his nature is evident to us all. He is eternal. And in this world itself, we recognize, you have to suppress God's truth, not to recognize with just common sense that there is an eternal divine creator who is sovereign over all creation. And here's the kind of thing I think Paul was talking about. Hundreds of years, centuries before the Apostle Paul, Aristotle the philosopher came up with the rules of logic and with the rules, uh, the laws of nature. Paul would have known this. But Paul, being a believer, applied the revelation of God to these things, and like most believers today, realize this is evidence of God. It's irrefutable evidence of God. You have to suppress common sense. Here's an example of what I mean. Every one of you in here experiences every day, all the time, a simple function of the laws of nature called cause and effect. That's how you got here. The cause was you getting in the car. 
The cause of the effect was the car door closing. You closed the door. You drove the car here. That was the cause you got here. That was the effect. You walked in the door. You put on your shoes before you did that. How many of you are wearing shoes? No, don't raise your hand. But you put on your shoes. The effect is you're wearing shoes. The cause was you put on your shoes. You see where I'm going to go on with this? It's so embedded in our universe we rarely think about. We live by nature, by cause and effect. There's a cause, there's a result. There's a cause, there's a result. Hey, in the bigger picture, you are here today, I'm here today as an effect. Our parents were the cause. And their parents were the cause of them being there and, and so forth and so on. We live by this. We just never think about it. It's so embedded and ingrained in the universe. But here's the thing. Every scientist, every philosopher, every theologian, any, even many atheists have to agree it's impossible to have what philosophers call an infinite regress of causes. That is to say, that cannot go on forever. Somewhere back there, there was a cause that himself had no cause. Somebody had to start all this. Somebody had to be the first cause of all creation. The one who started everything, and we know who he is. That's what Paul means. You have to suppress common sense. It's around you every day. It's evident. It's in front of you. It's absolute. God is our creator. And it's to him we owe glory. He is sovereign. He exists. I'll give you another one. You ever heard of contingency? You know what contingency means? It means you depend on stuff to live. You're contingent. God bless you. So am I. We're contingent on the food that we eat, on the air that we breathe, on the water that we drink. And I hate to tell you this, when I say I'm contingent, you're contingent, you know what that means? That means we're not necessary. Yeah. If I don't make it home today, you're still going to be here next Sunday. You're going to exist. The world's going to turn. I'm really not necessary, and, and I'm contingent. I'm a contingent being. And, and I have to have stuff. The world has to turn a certain way. The sun has to shine. The crops have to grow. I have to have water to drink. I'm, I'm dependent on all those things. But every scientist, every philosopher, every theologian, everyone willing to admit it knows in order for there to be contingency in the universe, there has to be one necessary being. One being that exists in and of himself, who is not contingent, who's not dependent, who needs no one and needs nothing. He's always existed. He's timeless. And as Paul says in verse 20, he's eternal. And we see that he's eternal by the fact that we're not. We can recognize there is a God. He is our creator. And we are without excuse. We cannot suppress that truth, though we try. We cannot refuse his sovereignty, though we try. There is a creator, and he is your God. In the progression of ingratitude, we have to make willful decisions to distance ourselves from the one true God to whom we should be grateful for our very lives. He's the reason the world turns. He's the reason we have food. He's the reason we have water. He's the reason you got to get up today, and I got to come here today. He's the reason. He's our God. But in that progression of ingratitude, we say, wait a minute. If I admit his sovereignty, that means I'm not God. That means I'm not the master of my universe. So people willfully reject his sovereignty. Then the third stage of this progression of ingratitude 
and gratitude begins and gratitude grows and gratitude thrives when we refuse to worship God. Paul has said in their glory, they refuse to glorify God or show gratitude. The term translated show gratitude means to demonstrate it. It's a verb. It's not saying, well, I just think I'm grateful. Thank you, God. It's not just saying it, although that's important. It's demonstrating it. It's showing gratitude. In other words, Paul's talking about worship. But notice what he says next. The same people that suppress the truth, now they exchange the truth for a lie. Their mind is so depraved, they're so distanced themselves from God, their mind is so depraved that now they've actually exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that lie is that they are the creator and they create their own identity and they create and define what marriage means and they create everything in their own lives. They take care of themselves. That, that They are the reason they exist in this world. There's not a God, they say. And they will not worship Him. The problem with that is human beings always worship. We were designed to worship. God made us to have a relationship with Him. So when we refuse to worship God, you know what happens? We worship something else or someone else, first and foremost, ourselves. Aren't I great? Don't I look good? Thank you, Bob, for being such a good pastor, Bob. Imagine the audacity of me standing and saying, I called myself to be a pastor and a preacher. I'd be packing my books tomorrow, wouldn't I? Because you know, you know that that is ingratitude. And at the core of that ingratitude, it explodes before you that I am worshiping myself ahead of our God. When you come to Christ, you see the difference, but there's a host out there, a culture, a generation that worships themselves ahead of God. As Paul puts it, this is the the reason we have so many other things in our lives that we put ahead of God. Sure, it was in his time, uh, they carved images of wood and stone and they, they had uh, altars on the mountains where they burned sacrifices. They worshiped other gods because they refused the creator and refused to worship the one true God. In our time, uh, we replace that same worship with worship of ourselves, with worship of people that uh, we want to, to have a relationship with, with worship of money, with worship of cars, worship of homes, worship of people we see on social media, worship of influencers. We constantly and consistently exchange the truth for a lie. And the truth is there is one God to whom we owe gratitude, one God that we worship, one God that we glorify, one God that we praise. There's just one God. How did we become so ungrateful? We did it by exchanging the truth for a lie. We did it by saying, I'm God, he's not. We did it by forgetting who he is or refusing to worship him. Remember that when you come to worship, whether it's here or at home, in the quiet each day, when you come to worship him at his word, you're expressing your gratitude to him. Your gratitude that he takes care of you, that he's gracious to you. Your gratitude that he is God by nature and will never change. 
your gratitude that he is good by character, and that will never change. You're expressing your gratitude in worship. You're saying, thank you, God, for creating me. Thank you, God, for helping me through these tough times. Thank you, God, for never leaving me or forsaking me. Thank you, God. And Father, if you see in my heart ingratitude, if you see that I am ungrateful toward you, or worse, God, if you see that I have replaced gratitude of myself, where there should be gratitude to you, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. In September, in Denton, North Carolina, 1,400 people suddenly lost power. Duke Power, Duke Energy came out, and they found the problem, and they had the power back on, and in a short time, you know what the problem was? A snake had slithered into the power supply and across the wrong connections. I don't know what happened to the snake, but it probably wasn't pretty. And cut out power for 1,400 people. How simple that is. And it's just that simple to listen to the tempter and to listen to sin that says, hey, you're God, he's not. You can take care of yourself. And suddenly you realize your fellowship with God is broken. The power seems to be absent. But you tell yourself, well, it's okay. I'll go to church Sunday and everything will be okay without realizing the problem is you. It's your ingratitude. Your unwillingness to acknowledge there's just one God. And it's not you. And it's not me. And it's to Him we are grateful for who we are. You say, well, Pastor Bob, my, my circumstances are terrible. My life is rough. My, my world is collapsing. It's a burden to me. What do you mean God is good? Well, here's the thing. As we'll see in the next few weeks, the Bible says, in all circumstances, give thanks. Give thanks. Not for the circumstances, but in the circumstances because your God has not left you. And he can bring his purposes out of your disappointment, out of your heartache, out of your struggle, your God is still God. And we're not. It starts right there. Would you say again today, God, I am so grateful to you. I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't understand this, but I know that you love me. You are always good, and you are my God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, God, this morning for who you are. We want to thank you, God, for the reminders all around us of your grace and of your compassion, of your goodness, God. We want to remind us, we want to thank you, God, for how you remind us of your presence. And we want to glorify you, God, your sovereignty. We want to praise you, Father, and be grateful to you. Father, search our hearts. If you find there ingratitude, God, show us that sin, and we confess that sin of ingratitude to you. We confess, God, that We've tried to be grateful to ourselves, take pride in what we've done when we should have been praising you. We confess that, God. Please forgive us for that. And God, I pray for each of us in here today because some of us are going through hard times and difficult situations and we have a hard time finding the gratitude in that, God. But we can always be grateful for you because you never leave us. You never forsake us. You always have a purpose and you know what comes next. We give to you those cares, burdens, worries, heartaches. We give to you those struggles, trials, sickness, and disappointments. We give that to you, our God. We can't handle it ourselves. We cannot handle that ourselves, God. So we give it to you, God. And we praise you, Father, for working out your perfect will 
in our lives. Father, I pray for those who need Christ as their Savior. That today they realize, yes, they have a Creator who loves them. And then the truth they have suppressed is the truth of God in Christ. That He loves us so much, He gave His one and only Son to die on the cross for us and has raised Him from the grave. God, if there's just one that needs Christ as their Savior, I before, before the day is out, I pray that they would turn to Christ. They would call out the name of Jesus and give their lives to Christ today. Father, we love you and praise you, God. We thank you, God, so much for loving us. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.